Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, founder of the Mission Driven Mom and author of The Mission Driven Life. Today we're on part two of 12 Characteristics of True Principles, which is super fun. And I think I mentioned last time that we've been finishing up this re-edit of the book. These 12 characteristics have made their way into the new version of the book, which is awesome. And that will be available in hard copy this fall. We're gonna get those printed up here pretty quick. So I'm super excited about that. Of course, we have our upcoming MDM celebration event. And we would really love to see your happy, smiling face there. We're going to spend the day talking about discernment and then have an award ceremony that evening. It's going to be loads of fun. And we'll be sending out a um, flash sale here coming up pretty quick on that. So look for that in the coming days if you want to join us in Provo, Utah. That's October 19th, just all day Saturday. I'm super excited. So we're gonna finish up these 12 characteristics of true principles. We did one through six last time, and today we're gonna cover seven through 12. The seventh characteristic is empower. Principles revive hope when we feel all is lost through their ability to empower. This is really such a cool component of principles because we really get stuck in life. You know, we get to the point in certain areas of our lives where we feel like we're just spinning our wheels and we're stuck in the mud and there's just no answers and we run out of hope. I know lots of people who have said to me or just in general that they have tried everything and done everything. And I often wonder if there's a principle that they didn't uncover that could have helped them in their quest to do whatever it was. It happens a lot in different arenas, the health arena, marriages, people are confident that they have, quote, done everything, and they have done everything that they know how to do, but they don't understand all the principles that govern that area of life, and so they need to uncover those in order to have um, health in that area and happiness. I'm going to tell you a little story from The Hiding Place, and I do think this story made it into the new version of the book as well. Maybe it was there before, I don't remember, but This is Corey, is the daughter, and she and her sister and her father live together. She's in her 40s. They've been harboring Jews in their home during World War II in Holland. And we know that they were definitely truth seekers. We know that they were consistently seeking truth and striving to live it. This was a pattern that they set. It's exemplified in the Seven Laws book, the Um, mission-driven life book. And so this was not uncommon in their family that they had recently read a book and it taught principles that had come to their aid. In fact, we're going to touch on something in this same book here in a little bit. So what's happened is her sister was harboring some Jews in her home, some women, and when their home was invaded, she was asked point blank if they were Jews and she admitted that they were because she didn't believe in lying, no matter what it was for. She believed that God never wants us to lie, and she believed that there's divine protection around telling the truth. 
And so she told the truth. Uh, the long story is that she was eventually released and so were all of these women that were arrested. And it kind of justified, vindicated her belief that lying is is never okay. This is kind of one of the many themes in the book about lying. But beside that point, that's why she's in prison because she's turned in these Jews. And she, of course she was arrested as well for harboring them in her home. So Corey has found out that her sister Nolly is in prison and she, it, uh, through her underground sources, has found out that there's a doctor that works at that particular prison that has a little bit of a soft heart and that will sometimes, in certain circumstances, give a medical release to certain prisoners when they have a good reason, justifiable reason. So Corey heads over there. It's a little ways from home and she gets there and she's waiting outside his office to talk to him and she's racking her brain what she should do to... Um, she says, to get into the good graces of this man, how am I going to convince him? We're perfect strangers. Why of all the people in prison should he help my sister? And she says, she looks around the foyer and sniffing from time to time at my legs and hands were three perfectly huge Doberman pinchers. I remembered the book we were reading aloud by Bicycle Lamp, How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of the techniques advocated by Del Carnegie was find the man's hobby. And so this um, good principle of relationships was to, you know, listen to other people, to find out what they were interested in, to be interested in what they're interested in. And she was clear she was in, he was interested in dogs. But Corey goes further than that. She understands that um, she sees this man as a whole person. She has lived those seven laws of life mission, and she has many of those fruits. And one of them is that she's able to love everyone and see them for who they are and the hard circumstances they find themselves in. So her people are being oppressed by the Germans and he's a German and she could just really hate him and be angry. But instead, she tries to see things from his point of view. He's been wrenched from his home. He has to live in a foreign nation. He has to serve his government in a way that he didn't choose to serve them. And so he, she understands that he's somewhat of a victim of all of this stuff as well. And so she enters with a bright smile and she starts the conversation off on a, a, a good note, bringing to bear these principles that she's learned and this newest principle of focusing on his hobbies and interests at the beginning of the relationship. And, you know, she's, anyway, so she walks in and she said, the first thing she says to him with a big smile is, how smart of you, doctor. And he's taken back and he says, smart? And she says, yes, to bring these lovely dogs with you. They must be good company when you have to be away from your family. The doctor's face brightened. You like dogs then? And they launch into this conversation for several minutes where Corey tries to remember everything she's ever heard about dogs. But her extension of empathy, first thing, understanding that he's far from home and he must be lonely and then starting the conversation off on something that's of interest to him made absolutely all the difference. They have a great conversation. He eventually realizes she's there to kind of try to get something from him, but he listens to her plea and eventually, you know, she visits again and he does let her sister go on medical release. And this really, these 
these principles really empowered Corey, especially remembering this principle she just learned in focusing on someone else's interests. And it came to her aid, it brought her hope, and it helped her to open the conversation in a memorable way. I mean, he never forgot Corey, and he never forgot how much she loved dogs like he did and how much she cared about him as a person instead of being angry and resentful. So this is the great power of principles, regardless of what area in our lives that we're struggling, they will bring hope and they will bring power, increased power to solve problems that we've been trying to solve maybe for a very long time. Or as in Corey's case, they'll come to our aid in times of crisis. And I've had those kinds of experiences myself. Number eight is increased desire for good. When we experience the lasting results principles generate, we want to discover and live them more, thus experiencing an increased desire for good. So I don't know if you've ever read the book, Little Britches. It is a key book in our home. It teaches certain things that our children absolutely have to know. And it does it in a really fun and exciting way. It's a true story. It's a series of books by Ralph Moody. And there's a whole fun story behind these books as well about how he came to write them. But it's about his experiences as a rancher in Colorado as a young boy. And as he got older, other experiences in his life as a young man. The first one is Little Britches. And he's eight years old and he's just moved to Colorado. And for the first time, there's ranches and ranchers and cowboys and horses. And it's like a dream come true for this kid. And he really wants to do big things. He wants to do important things. And he wants to ride the horses and he wants to kind of get his way. And so on one particular occasion, he lies in order to be able to go out and get on the horse and pull. There's these cross ties uh, from the railroad that have been abandoned. And he tries to um, get some of the, these cross ties out of this gulch. And he basically almost kills himself and the horse. I mean, you can imagine how badly it turns out. And so it, unfortunately for him, I guess fortunately in the long run, He's not able to hide what he's done from his mom. She finds out. And so we have, uh, this is his account of what happened. Mother didn't spank me. She gasped and looked at me as if I'd been a rattlesnake ready to strike. She has him go without supper and puts him in the corner of the room until the father comes home uh, much later that evening. So when the father comes home now, Ralph really adores his father. He has good parents. They really love him. They love God. They're doing their best to raise their family right. And he, he loves spending time with his dad and learning from his dad. And so his father comes in and Ralph is there and he instantly knows that something is wrong. And so he asks mother what's going on and she explains the whole situation to him. And um, he Ralph explains... Hard as father could spank, he never hurt me so much with a stick as he did when mother stopped talking. He cleared his throat and then he didn't make a sound for at least two full minutes. When he spoke, his deep was voice and dry and I knew he'd been coughing a lot on the way home. They'd moved to Colorado to help their father's health. Then the father begins, Son, 
There is no question but what the thing you have done today deserves severe punishment. You might have killed yourself or the horse, but much worse than that, you have injured your own character. A man's character is like his house. If he tears boards off his house and burns them to keep himself warm and comfortable, his house soon becomes a ruin. If he tells lies to be able to do the things he shouldn't do but wants to, his character will soon become a ruin. A man with a ruined character is a shame on the face of the earth. I might give you a hard thrashing. If I did, you would probably remember the thrashing longer than you would remember about the injury you have done yourself. I'm not going to do it. There were 18 cross ties in the gulch yesterday, and the section foreman told me they're going to replace 20 more. Until you've dragged every one of those ties home, you will wear your Buster Brown suit to school, and I will not take you anywhere with me. And that's just about the severest punishment his father could have given because there has been a lot of to-do about hating his Buster Brown suit and not being able to wear jeans like the other boys to school. But most of all, he longs to be with his father and learn from him, and he won't allow his son to be with him until he's, he's pulled these 38 cross ties from the gulch. So his father takes him down and teaches him how to do it. And then throughout the rest of the book, this idea, this principle his father has taught him about the fact that he has a character and developing his character in the right ways, living according to truth and being an honest, upright, integrous man is really what manhood is all about. And it sinks really deep in his heart. And so as he comes to understand this really important true principle, it generates a desire to do good in other areas of his life and to be a better person, to please his father, but also to become the kind of man his father is. It's a huge motivation for him. So then a little later on, he um, has the opportunity to herd cattle. He doesn't really know what he's doing and the people that he's doing it for or are not very great people. They are not very um, kind of fair and honest with him. They don't give him much training. So he's kind of out there on his own and he's having a really tough day. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And they have this really incredible neighbor Fred, who helps them out regularly, and he sees Ralph out there struggling along, and he comes out and helps uh, Ralph to wrangle in the cattle. In fact, he does in just a few minutes what Ralph hadn't been able to do for hours because he just doesn't know what he's doing yet. And Fred's not pleased with the people that have hired Ralph to do this job, the Corcorans. And so on their way back, uh, Fred is kind of venting his frustration about this, about these people. He says, the things Fred said about Mr. Corcoran were good to listen to. They were just the things I would have said myself if I hadn't been afraid of the damage it might do to that character of mine. I wished father had never told me about it. So that's just a fun kind of funny example of the increased desire for good that comes when we understand that something can truly help us, when we really know it's true and it sinks deep down into our heart, then we do want to do better in lots of ways. There's a study that I cite often about um, they gave exercise, uh, an exercise pass to several people of all ages and, and genders and things. In this study, they just said use them. And as people started to exercise more, they had this big, long list of all the other ways that they better governed themselves and all these other principles they started to live. They smoked less, they slept better, they drank more water, they were actually more patient with people, they um, 
there were all these positive results because when we start to live principles, then we have an increased desire to live more true principles. Now, the next two characteristics of um, true principles are that they generate growth and they improve health. And I'm going to talk about growth first and then health, but there's some crossover here. The, the best way to think about these two characteristics are that generating growth is really a motivation factor. And I'll talk about it a little bit more, but because they're true, they're the rules for improving human health. When, they when we apply them, we grow as individuals and um, the motivation to keep growing is increased. So that generating growth, we become more, there's more of us, but we also uh, want to grow more and be better. And the result of that activity and of living those principles is increased health in different areas of our life. So I'm going to defer to a couple different books here to help us talk a little bit more about um, growth. Toward a Psychology of Being by Abraham Maslow is a book I cite now and again. He said that um, Freud filled in the unhealthy part of psychology and he was attempting to fill in the healthy part of psychology. And that's why I love um, his writing so much. He's, he's the one that came up with the uh, hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And of course, the pinnacle of that hierarchy of needs was self-actualization. And it's interesting to think about the fact that he saw self-actualization as not just the culminating... Um, kind of effects of meeting all your needs, but also as a need. And I'll give you a couple quotes here from him about that. He says, so far as motivational status is concerned, healthy people have sufficiently who have sufficiently gratified their basic needs for safety, belongingness, love, respect, and self-esteem so that they are motivated primarily by trends to self-actualization defined as ongoing actualization of potentials, capacities, and talents as fulfillment of mission, as a fuller knowledge of and acceptance of the person's own intrinsic nature. So this we have this growth motivation. He goes on to say, Growth is seen then not only as progressive gratification of basic needs to the point where they disappear, but also in the form of specific growth motivations over and above these basic needs. In other words, talents, capacities, creative tendencies, and potentialities. So growth is something that becomes this incredible motivation. And, and what's fascinating about um, Maslow is this book, Toward a Psychology of Being, is kind of a pinnacle work of his work for years and years with people that he called self-actualized people, people he felt that were kind of at the top of, of, of the human kind of growth chain, if you will, that they were people who he felt they weren't necessarily famous. They might not even be people that everyone knew their name and that kind of thing. They were people who really were self-actualized, who were at peace with themselves, who were happy in their lives, who really had what we're talking about here, and that is the benefits and blessings of being principle-centered. And they had influence where they went, their relationships were solid, all of those kinds of 
consequences you could see in their lives. And what it came down to was what he called, quote, being values. And there's a list of those in this book that he puts forward of these are the characteristics of people who are self-actualized. They're all these things. They're truth seekers and they're at peace and they're blah, blah, blah. They're whole and all this kind of thing. It's really, really cool because ultimately he's like, well, actually they have all these things in common, which really are principles that they're, that they're living to be self-actualized. So growth is one of those, um, they had a growth motivation. They were growth centered. They wanted to, to keep being better as people. And this is what he says about it. When we examine people who are predominantly growth motivated and his self-actualized people would be categorized as growth motivated, the coming to rest conception of motivation becomes completely useless. In such people, gratification breeds increased rather than decreased motivation, heightened rather than lessened excitement. The appetites become intensified and heightened. They grow upon themselves and instead of wanting less and less, such a, person's wa- such a person wants more and more of, for instance, education. The person, rather than coming to rest, becomes more active. The appetite for growth is wedded rather than allayed by gratification. Growth is in itself a rewarding and exciting process. The fulfilling of yearnings and ambitions like that of being a good doctor, the acquisition of admired skills like playing the violin or being a good carpenter, the steady increase of understanding about people or about the universe or about oneself, the development of creativeness in whatever field, or most importantly, simply the ambition to be a good human being. This is what principle-centeredness brings about is this growth motivation. We want to be more than we are. We want to keep growing and learning um, and developing. It's really such a cool way to look at this characteristic of true principles. And it really is the case. It's, um, It's looking at everything we could be and everything we want to be and being motivated by that. Like he's talking about, you're, you're, you're more active. You tend to do more and want to accomplish more and be more and learn more and all of those awesome things. And so that's how principles generate growth because as we meet those basic needs, then the need for self-actualization becomes manifest in us. And then we want more and more growth and it's self-satisfying. And so the more we grow, the more we want to grow. And so this 10th characteristic of improving our health is kind of the result of that. Um, You know, you see great individuals. I often think of Jack Barzin and Mortimer Adler, two men I really admire and who taught a lot of truth. They were publishing books and writing and publishing books in their 90s, some really great books in their 90s. And, you know, I think often of Stephen Covey, who in his late 70s was so physically fit, he was on a bike ride. That's how he died, was crashing on his bike. I mean, you know, what a way to go to be in in great physical shape with relationships and finances and all those things so much in order. And of course, he was very principle-centered in his approach to life and had the fruits of that and wanted to always grow and be better and be more. And the health in all these areas of his life that he experienced were the results of that principle-centered way of living. So going back to uh, Maslow again, 
we see this um, health defined. He has 13, 13 aspects of health. He says superior perception of reality, increased acceptance of self, of others, and of nature, increased spontaneity, increase in problem solving, increased attachment and desire for privacy, increased autonomy and resistance to enculturation. So you can know what you know and stand for the truth that you know, rather than just buying into what your culture tries to get you to believe. Seven, greater freshness of appreciation and richness of emotional reaction, higher frequency of peak experiences, increased identification with the human species, changed, uh, interpersonal relations. So improved interpersonal relations, more democratic character structure, greatly increased creativeness and certain changes in the value system as you become more principle centered. So those are the fruits kind of, of being growth centered and of meeting those needs and of moving more and more toward that self-actualization for Maslow. He saw those fruits. That's the way in which people's health improved. Their relationships got better and they were more at peace with themselves and they were more creative and they were able to spend time with themselves. They saw reality better. They were more fair with people and and so it's really cool to think about how health in every area of life is a result of learning and living these true principles. You know, I think of Grandma Moses, whose painting career started, I don't know, in her 70s or something. She just was kept growing and kept creating and kept becoming more uh, than what she was. We find this in other areas too. I was thinking I pulled out The Millionaire Next Door and he's got this, well, the authors, there's more than one, have this list at the beginning of the book of all these common traits in Millionaire's Next Door. They're uh, predominantly a traditional family where the man works and they have three or more kids and the mom stays home or works something like a teaching job so she can be predominantly home with kids. Um, they're not... They don't have really high incomes. This Their median income when the book was written was 131,000. That would probably be like 150 to 175,000 or something today. So a good healthy income, but not a million a year income for sure. Don't have to be, you know, even a doctor, just, just an owner. Um, they own their own homes. They live well below their means. They're planners and frugal. They have enough savings to last several years without working. They save 15% of their income. They regularly invest 20% of their income. They 55% or more have children that attend private schools because they value education. They themselves are well-educated and have uh, degrees. They work 45 to 55 hours a week. They have all these traits in common because they're principle-centered. They live financial and business principles and they become millionaires, not because they make a million dollars in a year, but because they they develop that over time by their frugal way of living and their ongoing investing. The authors say, wealth is more often the result of a lifestyle of hard work, perseverance, planning, and most of all, self-discipline. So we see again that healthy finances are the result of principle-centered living and finances. 
We see the same thing with mental health, which is one of the reasons why I love The Road Less Traveled because it really opened my mind. There are people that are born with mental illness or have mental illnesses for reasons that are out of their control. But one of the things that Scott Peck teaches is that some people become mentally ill through their own evasion of reality and their own unwillingness to accept the self-discipline that life requires. He talks about the very first sentence in the book is life is difficult. And it, this he says, this is a great truth. One of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. And he goes on to talk about the fact that life is so hard is because there's problems to solve. And all of us must meet those problems head on and try to solve them. And how are we going to solve the problems? The principles are going to solve problems through principles. He says, for this reason, wise people learn not to dread, but actually to welcome problems and actually to welcome the pain of the problems because we all must suffer. And what gives life meaning is that we meet and solve problems and we grow from them. Problems call forth our courage and our wisdom. Indeed, they create our courage and our wisdom. And then he goes on to explain that the tendency to avoid problems and the emotional suffering inherent in them is the primary basis of human mental illness. And um, he says, in that regard, all of us are probably more or less a little bit mentally ill. And the way that we can become mentally healthier, healthier is through living these four principles. He calls them tools of mental health. And this was like mind blowing for me. Like when I found AA and I was like, oh, of course there's principles of addiction recovery. And I find Peg, I'm like, oh, of course there's principles of mental health. Of course there's principles of finance. And so he goes on to talk about these four principles of delaying gratification, acceptance of responsibility, dedication to truth and balancing as core principles of key mental health. So super duper cool. And that's the way in which growth and health kind of interact with each other, provide motivation, and then provide those awesome results of improved health. So our 11th characteristic is creating win-win solutions. Um, this of course is a concept taught by Covey. He put it a certain way. Um, it's, it's been a principle for a very long time. He talks about the difference between win-win, win-lose, lose-win, lose-lose, or win. And of course, we want win-win. He says that it is a frame of mind and heart that constantly seeks mutual benefit in all human interactions. When we seek win-lose, we're just all about ourselves. And when we seek lose-win, we build resentments that turn into addictions and other unhealthy things because other people always win at our expense and we resent them for that. Lose-lose is just about getting revenge and paying somebody back at all costs. And focusing just on win means you're just disregarding what other people need and you don't even include them in the framework of what you're trying to create or build. When there's truly a win-win solution, and we've heard about a lot of these over the last couple podcasts, Christy, totally, she's applying the principles of love, hygiene, caring about these children and serving them. She wins, they win. Um, Mr. Bowditch, you know, he... Matt teaches what he's learned. He learns it and then he teaches it. He's not interested in feeling superior, being superior. He just wants everybody to win. He's benefited from it. He's willing to share out what he's learned and he's not threatened by what they might become and how they might grow from it. You know, in, in the Ten Boom book, the doctor got to do a charitable act of service 
And Nolly was released from prison and Corey was able to be empowered by principles and Anna Karenina, the forgiveness of uh, Alexei was a huge blessing to him and to other people that were involved. So applying principles always creates these win-win, these beautiful, happy endings. In the moment, sometimes we don't always see those results right away, but everyone in, in is eventually that their their growth and health, especially as they see those principles themselves and want to apply them in their own lives and follow that example. That win-win solution is really huge. This is how to win friends and influence people. He says, there is only one way under high heaven to get anybody to do anything. Did you ever stop to think of that? Yes, just one way. That is by making the other person want to do it. And there are many, this is just another way of stating the win-win principle. Now you could try to go about it. And he says this, you know, you could put a gun to someone's head. You could threaten to fire them. But of course, these are crude methods with sharply undesirable repercussions because they're win-lose or lose-win or lose-lose methods to try to get other people to do what we want them to do. And so we need to create win-wins. A, a principle that he teaches in this chapter is to understand very deeply that everyone needs to feel important and to help them feel important as a way of helping them want to do what they ultimately need to do. That's a skill we need as moms, but just another kind of voice in the discussion for us with Del Carnegie on the importance of this 11th characteristic that we need to create win-win solutions. And our last characteristic, they build unity. Um, of course, principles should be uniting our families. They unite in the in the societal realm. And I'm going to give a couple of examples of that. But the most important place that we want principles to unite us is first in our homes. They'll help us bring our own hearts and minds into harmony and at peace and in line with our conscience. And they'll help us put our own personal lives in order and have more unity and peace of mind as a person. But principles in the home environment are so powerful because there's not a you're right, I'm right, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm right, you're wrong, other, or the other way around. There's, there's no competition to be right or to prove somebody wrong. There's this pursuit together to find principles and live them together as a family and to defer to the truth rather than to each other or feeling like somebody else won and we lost. A really good example of this is when Tocqueville came to America in Democracy in America. I think I've quoted this before, but it's a great another voice about unity. He came, he wrote two volumes on democracy in America. He saw the benefits and then he said to his fellow Frenchmen, let us look to America not in order to make a servile copy of the institution she has established, but to gain a clearer view of the polity that will be best for us. We don't want to look just like America and smell and sound and, you know, act just like Americans. What we want to do is he goes on, let us, uh, let us look there less to find examples than instruction. Let us borrow from her the principles rather than the details of her laws. He saw that he could unite the French who at this point in time really needed a set of principles to unite around because they've been through so much turmoil the previous 50 or more years. And so he's trying to help them. I'm going to write these books. I'm going to teach you some key principles that have made America what it is. And we can do that. We can live the principles that she lives and we'll get many of those awesome results that we see over there. That's so wonderful. 
In fact, this is kind of what happened. I mean, we see, you know, the word principles is right in our declaration that um, if any government becomes um, destructive of these ends of, of us being able to live our natural rights and, and live according to natural law, then it is our right to alter and abolish it. Um, and then we're going to put... Uh, we're going to put together, I don't have it right in front of me, I'm totally paraphrasing, but basically we're going to put to the live the principles of government and put them into such a form as will cause our happiness. So there again, the principles will unite us. What's what we're going to do is we're going to put this new governmental form together around the principles that we know to be true because our king won't let us live those principles. And so we're going to form our own government we have that right because we have a conscience and we want to live according to our conscience and we have the right from God to live according to true principles. And that's what we want to do. One last really cool one here on the uniting power of principles comes from common sense. This, of course, is Thomas Paine. It's written just as we're getting started in the Revolutionary War. George Washington expressed how indebted he was to this tract for helping his soldiers be more motivated he talks about why he's writing this, and then he says, In the following sheets, the author hath studiously avoided everything which is personal among ourselves. That means anything that's details, kind of like Tocqueville was saying. Compliments as well as censure to individuals make no part thereof. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to say anybody's right or wrong. Then he goes on, the wise and the worthy need not the triumph of a pamphlet and those whose sentiments are injudicious or unfriendly will cease of themselves unless too much pains are bestowed upon their conversion. The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. Many circumstances hath and will arise which are not local but universal and through which the principles of all lovers of mankind are affected and in the event of which their affections are interested. So what we're doing in America, this is, of course, after we've kind of set our sail and we're going we're gonna to try to live those principles and make our own form and, 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 and be independent. We're going to unite around these principles that are universal. He says, the laying a country desolate with fire and sword, declaring war against the natural rights of all mankind and extirpating the defenders thereof from the face of the earth is the concern of every man to whom nature hath given the power of feeling. He goes on at the end of it. Who the author is of this production is, is wholly unnecessary to the public. He hasn't put his name on it. He doesn't want anybody to even know who it's written by. As the object for attention is the doctrine itself, not the man. He doesn't want to call attention to himself. He wants them to learn and understand the arguments he's put forth and the principles that he's teaching. He finishes out. Yet it may not be necessary to say that he is unconnected with any party and under no sort of influence, public or private, but the influence of reason and principle. So I'm not loyal to anybody in particular. I'm loyal to reason and to principles. And I want to put those forward so that you can see what principles we're trying to unite around to build this free nation that we all want so that we can live according to the dictates of conscience so that we can have our rights upheld and so that we can live in harmony with natural laws and true principles. So those are the 12 characteristics of true principles. And I hope that you can better see what principles kind of 
look like and feel like and sound like, how they have impact in our lives, all the different ways that they change us and move us and motivate us and help us to build uh, lives that are growth motivated and that are healthy and that are empowered and that are full of um, freedom and love for ourselves, for God, and for all mankind, because that is the power that they hold. Thank you so much for joining me. If you do not have your free copy of The Mission Driven Life, please head over to themissiondrivenmom.com and grab your free copy. And again, keep sharing this out with anyone who may benefit from it. Uh, please give us reviews and and join the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group if you have not done that yet so we can get to know you. Thanks so much for joining me today and I will see you next time.